Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Father Chris, again from the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. And tonight we have quite a different approach for the evening than we did last night. Last night I gave you a lot of teaching. And last night I talked, um, last night I talked about more of the aspect of teaching in scripture and our faith and about the mass. And today we're gonna be more into an inspirational talk that will focus on understanding God's mercy, even in the midst of suffering and suicide and other things that we just cannot understand why a good and a loving God would allow such suffering. Okay, surveys, and we all know the world's full of them, give that the number one reason people do not believe in God is because how could, if there is a good and loving God, could he allow such suffering? Most surveys show that's the number one reason for atheism. Most religions believe that suffering is evil, even Judaism. They believe that this is just nothing but punishment. In a sense, there is some truth to that. But the Catholic faith uniquely believes there's actually value, believe it or not, to suffering. However, talk to anyone in the midst of tragedy and try to explain that. Very difficult. So this is the question. Here's where we begin tonight. How could a good God allow so much suffering? In fact, we can pick so many examples. When I moved down to North Carolina, I opened the doors of my business one month before 9-11. This is a perfect example. Where was God? Well, you know, anybody know how many people died in 9-11? 3,000. 3, and it was a horrible day for our country. But do you know that abortion kills more than that every day? Every day, abortion takes more lives than we lost on 9-11. Both are not at all to be accepted and we should never have to deal with, but yet we do. Okay, so why? Why would this happen? First of all, you all know the traditional explanation. We'll start with some of the basics, free will. Now we all know what was God's greatest gift that he ever gave to us, free will. Of all the gifts, this was the greatest, but you know what? It was also the one God took the most risk. Why would you say that God took a huge risk with free will? The answer is because when he gave us this gift, he took a giant risk that we would hurt each other and we would turn our back on him. This is the risk he took to give us this amazing gift of free will. Now, it's also true that suffering is a consequence of sin. This is another reason. When we sin we disrupt the harmony of God's universe. Don't just think that your sin in private doesn't affect me, or my sin in private does not affect you. It very much does. We seem to think, well, I didn't hurt anybody. Really, the problem is every sin we commit, even venial, scars the body of Christ. Now, when you sin, you create a wound to the body of Christ. What heals the wound? Confession, 
But even after the wound heals, the scar may remain. And that on the body of Christ is a reason we have a lot of the suffering we do. Hurricanes, earthquakes, tsunamis. These are all examples. Even nature is affected by our sin. And so all of these things that we do, we scar the body of Christ. We disrupt the harmony of God's universe. This is also another reason. Now, last night, if you were here, I talked about evil. What is evil? It's a privation of the good. You see, the other reason that we have suffering in the world is because when we remove God from everything, it becomes evil. Because what, what did I say last night? What is evil? Evil is simply a privation, a lack of the good. So whose goodness itself? God. So when we take God out of our courts, God out of our schools, God out of our families, God out of all of our society, you're removing goodness itself. What happens when you remove goodness itself? If you remove God, you remove goodness. What's left is evil. So a lot of our suffering that is caused by the evil is our own fault because we removed God from our schools and our courts and our families and our society. This is another reason. But here's the issue. God, well, let me back up. Does God want this? Let me back up even further. Is everything under the providence of God? Is everything that happens under the providence of God? Yes, it is. Now, does God want a little five-year-old girl to die of leukemia? That sounds like a major contradiction to me. You just told me that everything is under the providence of God, but then you just told me that he doesn't want it. Both are correct answers. How do we reconcile that? Okay. God doesn't want it, but he allows it. That's the age-old quandary. God doesn't want it, but he allows it. Why? Because God wants to bring a greater good out of even those consequences that we, with free will, and the choice that we were given to remove him, which he will not force himself on us. God is so good. He gives us this gift of free will and the ability to choose him or not. And even when we make the wrong decisions and we hurt each other and we turn our back on him, he still hasn't abandoned us. Father, it feels like God has abandoned me. No, no, no. It may feel like it, but we're going to get to that in tonight's presentation. We're going to explain that. You see, God wants to bring a greater good out of even the worst evil. Now, has anybody here ever heard St. Augustine's term, oh, happy fault? Anybody? What is that? Okay, first of all, when Adam and Eve were in the garden before the fall, things were good, weren't they? They didn't get sick. They didn't suffer. They didn't fight. They walked around naked and had no shame. Things were pretty good. But did they share in the divine life of God? Anybody? No, they didn't. They had preternatural gifts. As I said, they didn't suffer. They didn't get sick. You know, they didn't have to stand in the line on the freeway or sit in traffic. 
They didn't have to stand in line at the grocery store. I used to hate grocery shopping. I just, it was so, it was so waste of time for me. And I used to think there's gotta be a better way. And now I hear, and I've never used it, but now they have delivery. They have all these things. So to me, I think, back to Augustine, oh, happy fault. What does that mean? What it means was before the fall, Adam and Eve had it pretty good, but they never shared in the divine life of God. What happened after the fall? What happened after the fall? God is so merciful and wants to bring a greater good that he actually elevated man. Do you remember last night I said, who's higher, man or angels? Angels are created above man, right? They're superior. They have a superior intellect. They don't suffer. Man is below the angel. Angel was created above man. But by grace, when Jesus became, when the second person of the Trinity became one of us, man was elevated above the angels. So now all of a sudden, God took this broken creature in the midst of suffering and elevated him above the angels and gave him what? A share in the divine life of God. God basically took man from this lowest position and elevated him after his fall. After his fall, he gave him the opportunity to share in the divine life of God. This is God bringing a greater good out of even the worst evil of the fall of Adam and Eve. Why? Because God wants to show us what his mercy can do. He wants to show us that his mercy, even after a broken sin, is greater than anything. It's greater. He let us fall into sin so that he could show us his mercy. Now, what greater good could come out of the worst evil in human history? What's the worst evil of human history? Creatures nailing their God to a cross. Creatures nailing their Savior and draining him of his blood to a cross. Now, can you think of any greater good that can come out of that? Your salvation. God can bring a greater good out of even the worst evil. The worst evil is this, but it's not the last word. The cross is not the last word. The resurrection is the last word. And God, through this tragedy, through this, this awful evil, brought a greater good, our salvation. So you see, this is what we don't understand. And St. Faustina, she gives a great quote here. She said, if the angels were capable of envy, the angels would envy man for only two things. Does anybody know what two things that St. Faustina said, if the angels were capable of envy, they would envy us for? One said it, the Holy Eucharist, Holy Communion. Okay, and I just heard the other one. The first one, it's Holy Communion, that we can receive Holy Communion. Do the angels receive Holy Communion? No. Why? They're only spirit. We are body, spirit, a unity of body and spirit, a composite of body and spirit. So we can receive Holy Communion. They do not. And the angels envy us for it. What's the second thing that the angels would envy man for? Suffering. Suffering that we can suffer. Now... This is ironic, isn't it? One, only 25% of Catholics believe in, and the other one, no Catholic wants anything to do with. 
And this is what the angels would envy us for. Holy communion, only 25% of Catholics believe truly in the body, blood, soul, and divinity, the real presence. And the other one, the angels would envy for suffering, no Catholic wants anything to do with. And these are the two things the angels would envy us for. Why would they envy us that we could suffer? Because we imitate our Savior. We share in this cross. We share, you know, one of the most baffling passages of Scripture. St. Paul says, I must complete what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. What could possibly be lacking in the suffering of Christ? Our suffering. Our suffering. You see, and he says, I must complete what is lacking in the suffering of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. What is lacking is uniting our suffering. You see, when you come to Mass, as we said last night, offer that suffering, unite it with the sacrifice of the Mass, place it on that patent, offer it back to God the Father, because it can become redemptive. You see, when it's redemptive, you can help participate in Christ's redeeming act. What is going on here in this picture? Christ is redeeming the world. Why? Because the penalty for sin is death, the wage of sin. Christ paid it, and then he resurrected. He defeated death by bringing life, and he redeemed us. Now, when we offer our sufferings united to this cross, we become, John Paul II said, many co-redeemers. You want to talk about a phrase that scares non-Catholics? Tell them we're many co-redeemers. There's no redeemer but Jesus. Is this true? Yes. Jesus is the redeemer. But do you know what co means? People think it means equal to. It doesn't in the Latin. Co or cum means with, not equal to. So we are with Christ on this cross. We're not equal to him. We're not that. What we are is with him when we unite our sufferings to this cross and people don't understand the value of it. You know, it's really sad when I go to nursing homes because I've actually been asked, Father, what is the church teaching on physician-assisted suicide? And I always ask them, God bless you, but may I ask why you're asking? Father, I'm just, I'm just a burden. I'm just a burden to my family. I'm a burden. I'm draining them financially. I'm a burden to these beautiful staff members here. They have to take care of me all hours of the night. I offer nothing anymore to society. I'm nothing but a burden. And you know what I say to them? Nothing could be further from the truth. Your one ounce of your suffering has more power than an atomic bomb. One ounce has more power than an atomic bomb because united to the cross of Christ, it can save souls. You ever wondered, you ever lay in bed saying, I, I pray for the salvation of my son or my daughter, or I really worry about the salvation of my husband or my wife. Here it is, an opportunity for you to make a difference by uniting our sufferings. You know, it's funny because as we do this, we become participants. God did not set it up that we're just passive. This is the difference between the Catholic faith and all others. All others believe that we are just passive. 
In the Catholic faith, we believe we're not passive. We are participants. We participate in Christ's redemptive work. This is why John Paul II said, each man in his suffering can also become a sharer in the redemptive suffering of Christ. This is incredible. We are many co-redeemers, not equal to, but with him. Now, y'all heard of St. John Vianney? He's the patron saint of priests. Please pray. You're praying for your priests? We need it. But sometimes God makes the demons tell the truth. And one time a demon told John Vianney that 80,000 souls avoided hell because of his sufferings alone. Can you imagine what you could do if you are truly suffering? If John DNA could save 80,000 souls, if you truly unite your sufferings and offer it to God in atonement for your sins and the sins of the whole world, I'll bet you you could save a lot of souls. At least your own family and your closest friends, those that God put in your care, how powerful is that? Well, Father, what are you talking about? You're making it sound like we're God. No, read what Jesus said to St. Faustina. Jesus told her the salvation of thousands of souls depends on her. Wait a minute, when I read that, I'm like, she's not God. It depended on her prayers and her united sufferings. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, she's not God. But then you read further. God wants us to be participants. Yes, all the grace comes from him. We don't generate the grace, but God uses us as tools. God is the, the actual cause of that redemption, but we are an instrumental cause. God uses us like a tool, and he wants us to participate. Now, this is powerful. Okay. Y'all heard of Padre Pio? Now, here's another reason God allows suffering. Sometimes it's the only way he can get us to turn to him. What did he tell Padre Pio? Jesus said to me, how many times would you have banded me, my son, if I had not crucified you? Beneath the cross, one learns love, and I do not give this to everyone. You ever notice how it seems like those who just seem to have nothing go wrong for them? They don't believe, they have no faith, but everything just seems so perfect in their life, doesn't it? Well, here's the answer. I do not give this to everyone, but only to those souls who are dearest to me. Jeez, thanks, Jesus. You know, um, y'all ever hear of St. Teresa of Avila? I think it was her. There's a story tradition that she was either walking or riding a horse or in a carriage. I can't remember the details. But she got knocked off and she fell into this awful mud bath and this mud puddle. And she got all filthy and she got cut up and everything. And she was just really, really frustrated. And she says, Lord, Jesus, why did you let this happen to me? And Jesus said, this is how I treat all my friends. <laughs> and St. Teresa of Avila says, no wonder you have so few of them. <laughs> so this is just yet another reason. But you know what? Before that we start focusing on ourselves and turn inward, and you know what? I'll bet every one of you, and myself included, could list a long, long list of our valid suffering and why we are hurt and what has happened in our lives. And I am not mitigating that at all. But you know what? The second that I started to feel sorry for myself and I was starting to really, the time of my life that I was really incurring self-pity, I was doing a research project. 
And when I was really starting to pity myself, I'm suffering here, Lord, are you listening? I came across this picture. You tell me anybody has to endure this and then you think of your own suffering. You know, my suffering comes and it goes for the most part. How would you like to live with this every minute of every day? When I saw this picture, my whole perspective changed. I've never met this man, obviously, but I believe there's a man that's going straight to heaven. This guy and what you just look at this picture, there is a suffering servant. This to me is absolutely the biggest reason that I say to myself, Lord, please have mercy, especially on a soul that is carrying your cross like this. It really does, when we look at this, make put things in perspective, does it not? You know, when we look at this, sometimes our suffering, it is awful, but it's not always, not always as, as much because when it happens to us, it's always magnified. This is human nature. This is, this is a result of who we are. You know, but I want to tell you a story. When I was coming in Chicago, um, and remember, suffering's not necessarily something that we should, I, I've been talking so far like suffering is this great thing and, and it's very powerful. But you know what, does, I should stop here for a minute and say, does that mean that we should say, hey Lord, bring on more? No. What did Jesus say in the garden? Did he not ask for the cup of suffering to pass him by? Yes, he did. He said, Lord, please let this cup pass me by. But then did he say, and I'm really going to be ticked off at you and never talk to you again if you don't take it. No, what did he say? He said, but not my will be done, your will be done. That's how we handle suffering. We don't ask the Lord to pour it on unless you know you're chosen as a victim soul. Unless you know you were given that vocation by God to be a victim soul. Now, if not, you are to ask the Lord, take it away, please, Lord. But if, you, if your will is for me to carry it, please give me the, 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 the strength to carry it. As St. Faustina says, Lord, I'm not asking you to take me off the cross. I'm asking that you give me the strength to stay on it. And this is that's very powerful. Now, our suffering can save souls. And I want to tell you a story. Do you have these restaurants here, White Castle? No. <laughs> I heard everybody go, oh. You see, in the Midwest, this is a little hamburger chain. They have like 25 cent hamburgers. Now, when you live in a vow of poverty, you rely on stuff like this because <laughs> it's the way that you can afford a meal, right? So, I want to tell the story of this restaurant. This was in Chicago that I was at back when I first was ordained. And I was in a mission with one of my, who's now ordained priest, Brother Allen at the time, now Father Allen. And we began a parish mission just like I'm doing here. And we were on the far downtown Chicago end. And we finished the parish mission and we had to pack. And then I did confessions and then we had to load the truck and disassemble everything. And by the time we got out of there, it was quite late. And we had a about an hour and a half drive all the way through Chicago to the far west suburbs. And we had not eaten all day. So we were starving. So anyway, Brother Allen's driving and he sees this White Castle. 
Now, as he's driving, he's from Michigan. I'm from Michigan. We both remember White Castle. He wheels in. This is where we're eating. We're starved. So we walk into the lobby area. And in this White Castle, there's about 50 or 60 people in the lobby. And it's very late at night. It's like 11 o'clock at night or whatever. And we walk in and we get in line and we're looking at the menu and we have our collars on. At that point, in walks a man through the door. And you never know someone when you see him, you just know they are suffering, right? They are not, they're not doing well. And all of a sudden we're standing there and a man walks in the restaurant and his head's down and he looks up and he sees us. And this look of anger came across his face and he looked at me and I'm just like, <laughs> and he looked at me and he started coming, teeth grinding, fist clenched. And I'm thinking real fast in my mind, what's the church teaching on self-defense? <laughs> and he comes at me and he takes his two fingers. Now, it's funny because when he walked up as he was coming at me, you know, Brother Allen, who's next to me, he's six foot two. So I'm like grabbing Brother Allen and throwing Brother Allen in front of me. And this guy takes his two fingers and he jams them in my collar in front of everyone. And he takes these two fingers and he jams them in my collar. And I'm just standing there and he goes, you tell me how your God could allow my five-year-old niece to die of leukemia. And the whole place fell dead silent. These are some people that I would bet hadn't been to a church their whole life. There were drug, drug addicts in there. There were prostitutes in there. This was the dredges of downtown Chicago. And <clears throat> this guy announces, yells, how could your God allow my five-year-old niece to die of cancer or of leukemia? Now, I'm this freshly minted idiot right out of seminary. And I start going into the Summa Theologica of St. Thomas Aquinas. And I start quoting the Summa. And I start telling him that it's a result of original sin. And I start going on and on. And he says she didn't have any sin. She was five years old. He wasn't ready for that. And I started saying, sir, it's a consequence, not of her sin, but my sin. You see the body of Christ. And when we wound the body of Christ, whew, right over his head. He wasn't ready for that. And I wasn't ready for that either. I'm thinking I'm going to come out of seminary and start explaining this to this poor guy who really is suffering. No way. Thank goodness Brother Allen was there because what Brother Allen did was basically go like this and shove me into the corner. And Brother Allen took over. And Brother Allen said, sir, what's your name? And I'm sitting back there saying, gee, I should have thought of that. <laughs> and he says, what's your name? And the guy said, Harold. And he said, Harold, do you believe in God? And Harold said, you know, I just don't know. I just don't know. And everybody's listening. Everybody in the place. And he says, Harold... I can tell you, and I don't know you, but I can tell you right now there's a little five-year-old girl sitting on the lap of Jesus. And I can promise you she's praying for you because you're, she's in your heart. And when she's in your heart, you're in her heart. And I can promise you she's praying for you. And there is no way 
that Jesus won't hear that prayer. Now, doesn't mean he will always answer it the way that we want or that we expect, but he will answer it. That's a promise. Now you see, Harold, I don't know you, but if I was a betting man, I would bet you that those little prayers are going to bring you back to God. May not be today, may not be tomorrow, but may even be the moment of your death. I don't know. But I believe, Harold, that her little prayers are going to bring you back to God. And when they do, we're going to have two saved souls. Hers is already saved. You are right. She had no sin. She was five years old. You see, Harold, she's in heaven. We know that. And now, with her little prayers, I believe one day you will be too. You see, Harold, if she would have been born and raised in this crazy world of ours, we don't know the way God works. His ways are not our ways. But maybe God knew something. Maybe God, in his infinite mercy, will bring a greater good. I don't expect you to believe that. I don't expect you to understand that. But you know, Harold, if she would have maybe been born and raised in this crazy world, maybe she too would have fallen away. Maybe she would have had nothing to do with God and she would have been lost. And then right behind her, you too. There's a great chance that if that would have happened, both of you might have been lost. But you see, Harold, now I believe in my heart, both of you will be saved. You see, Harold, God knows better than we do and we won't understand it till we get to heaven. But you know, Harold, I can tell you this. God did not abandon you. And he certainly did not abandon your little niece. Everybody is listening. Everybody is talking and wondering how, how this guy was going to respond. And this guy put his head down. He had a tear in his eye. And when Alan, Brother Alan finished with him, he basically explained that Harold... We don't always understand why God does something, but he'll always allow it for the greater good. I can't even begin to tell you what the greater good could be here, but I do believe it may be and could be both of your salvations. Who knows? We don't. We don't. So the point was this guy who was so angry, he had probably never heard this, and everybody sitting around listening was dumbfounded, and this guy turned around and he walked out the door and he never even got his food. And I always think of him. And I always wonder what happened. And I do pray. Because you see, this is something that we can't grasp. You know, God doesn't want... Well, let me ask you this. Did God want that little girl to die of leukemia? Uh-uh. But we just said earlier that everything's under the providence of God. So here's the story. Here's the deal. In God's ordained will, he does not want this. In his ordained will, suffering, death, evil, all of this is not in his, what he wants. It's not what he wants. I went to a funeral um, when I was a kid, 10 years old, and a friend of mine got killed on a bicycle. And my parents and their parents were really good friends. And as they're sitting in the horrible trauma of losing their son, this wonderful couple, I mean, meant well. They really did. And they came up all excited and smiling and joyful. Everybody's sobbing and crying at this funeral uh, or at the showing. It was actually the nursing home or the um, funeral home. 
And these two young couple, God bless them, they meant well, but they went up to this couple who had just lost their son and they said, rejoice. This was God's will. There was almost a second funeral that day. <laughs> now, was that God's will? Was it God's will that that little girl died of leukemia? No, not God's ordained will. He did not want that. God does not want sin. God does not want suffering. But in his permissive will, he allows it. So in God's ordained will, he does not want it. In his permissive will, he allows it. For all those reasons we have just said. Now, if this is the case, a lot of times people don't know the last reason or another reason. A lot of times, if everything was perfect, we wouldn't need God. Picture yourself this way. Could you imagine your life if you woke up ah, every morning and your husband looked at you and said, Dear, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Let me make you breakfast. You just stay in bed. And then your kids came in and gave you a big hug and said, Mom, we love you so much. We just did the laundry. We did the dishes. And we can't wait to go to mass with you. <laughs> and then you go to work and your boss says, You know what? You are our best employee. You should be the boss. I'm going to step down and recommend you take over. And then you come home and all the bills are paid and you have all the money you could ever need and there is no suffering and you never get sick. Would you need God? No. Sometimes God allows us to go through this because it's the only way some of us ever turn to him. Sometimes only in tragedy. I can tell you some rock stars that we personally knew in L.A., these guys had nothing to do with God until the tragedy hit them. In fact, you can say the same thing about athletes. You remember uh, Joe Theismann? Monday Night Football gets his leg snapped in half by Lawrence Taylor. And he said that was one of the greatest things that ever happened to him. Because on his bed, while he was trying to mend and heal for months and months, he realized he was on the wrong path. And it made him turn back to God and change his life. You know, it's interesting. You all remember Fulton Sheen? I love this quote. Sometimes the only way the good Lord can get into some hearts is to break them. That's powerful. Sometimes the only way the good Lord can get into some hearts is to break them. Sometimes we don't turn to God other than in tragedy. Sometimes that's what happens. So all of these reasons... And I want to finish now. We're going to take our break, but I want to finish with this video. I want you to notice what happens in this video. In this video, it starts out with all this tragedy and suffering, but then I want you to watch closely. Look what happens after and look what God does in the midst of that suffering.
Did you notice that? The tragedy that began, God was able to bring greater good. Again, I'm not expecting people to understand this. In the midst of your suffering, it is easy for us to say this. But if you read that one quotation from the video, it said, God will wipe away all the tears. They will be wiped away. We just have to get through this valley of tears because the eye has not seen, ear, or ear has not heard what God has in store for those who love him. So Jesus told St. Faustina, know that your body and soul will be, will often be in the midst of fire. Although you will not feel my presence on some occasions, I will always be with you. Do not fear, my grace will be with you. You remember that footprints um, footprints um, thing. And uh, there's two sets of footprints. And then at his hardest time in his life, there's one set. And he's like, Lord, where were you? He says, you abandoned me. 
the time in my life I needed you the most, you were not there next to me. And he says, that's when I was carrying you, his footprints. And so this is very powerful. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.